1: Soon, thanks to you we're living free We're a quilt of many colors And we breathe red, white, and blue
2: We're America, your country And America wants you
1: It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition with Gary Ray, along with his co-host Linda Crater.
3: Good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network. Today is May 27, 2014. I'm Gary Ray along with my co-host Linda Crater, President and CEO for VeteranCaregiver.com. How are you doing this morning, Linda?
4: Just great, Gary. Thanks very much.
3: You had a good Memorial Day?
4: You know, I think that people were far more focused this year than I've seen in a long time on the mm-hmm. real meaning behind Memorial Day, which of course is what I was hoping and what we experienced and what we saw. So I was very pleased with it. All right.
3: We also have Lieutenant Colonel Bill Forbes, U.S. Army retired, former Deputy Secretary for the Veterans Administration, Maryland, also past Department Commander for DAV for the state of Maryland. How are you doing, Bill? Doing just
2: great, Gary, and it's good to be back with all of you today. All right. All right. And your Memorial Day went good, too? Very good. Uh, went out of town uh, and uh, arrived to get back so I could be uh, fresh and ready for the show. <laughs> All right. All right. <laughs> we, we have Staff Sergeant Charles Eggleston,
3: U.S. Army, also with us today, State Commander for the Military or the Purple Heart in Maryland, and also Director for the Blue Star Family and serves on the board of Voices for America's Troops and on the board for the SMGA. How are you doing today?
5: Everything is great.
3: It's a, good, good. So, you had a good Memorial Day also? Uh,
5: it's a sixth event, Memorial Day. So it was very tiresome. But yes. I, I'm, I'm with Linda on, it seemed like they're coming around to the true meaning of Memorial Day because I didn't see any deep sales in the store. So they oh. must mm-hmm. be just concentrating on the veterans.
3: All right. Mm-hmm. All right. I agree. Alright. Just a reminder about Veteran Trek guys, Anthony and Tom, they still need your help with the production of their documentary. As you know, they embarked on a journey to heal from their time in combat and to bring awareness to veteran homelessness, unemployment, PTSD, traumatic brain injury, and suicide epidemic that sees 22 veterans a day take their own lives. As I mentioned last week, a documentary of their walk is getting ready for production by a company called Almost Sunrise. They are ready to dive into the edit, and they need your support right from their Kickstarter page. Just go to sunrisedocumentary.com or go to the americanheroesnetwork.com homepage, scroll down to the sketch of Anthony and Tom, And also, be sure to watch the movie trailer, donate what you can, and be sure to share that campaign with everyone you know on Facebook and Twitter. Their last day for their goal is June 10th. Well, today we have a very special guest with us. Linda, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest?
4: Oh, what a pleasure. Um, Today we have on with us veteran Army Specialist Danielle Green. She was one of the first women injured in the Iraq War and a recipient of the Purple Heart As a young girl, uh, unlike many, she knew she wanted to serve her country from the age of seven. In 2002, after uh, graduating from Notre Dame, at the age of 25, she enlisted in the United States Army and deployed to Iraq in 2004. A mere four months later, she was pulling security on a rooftop. When rockets whizzed by her, reaching to grab her weapon, an RPG, a rocket-propelled grenade, hit her as she began to return fire. She never lost consciousness and prayed to God to give her the strength to live, fight, and persevere. And we will let Danielle tell you the rest of that immediate experience in our program today. It's an honor to introduce Army Specialist Danielle Green to the American Heroes Network. Welcome, Danielle.
6: Thank you, Welcome. thank you, Linda. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for the right. introduction. It's a pleasure to be on the show this morning.
3: Oh, it's good to have you. Now, let's start at the beginning, Danielle. When you were a kid, when you were seven years old, at seven years old, I was worried about which friend should I play with. (laughs) You already had a plan for the rest of your life. (laughs)
6: <laughs> I, I did have a plan. I wouldn't say for the rest of my life, but I just understood my circumstances um early on. Um I was very, very close to my um my grandmother and I could see that some there were some strange dynamics going on in my, my household. Um I remember back in the early eighties, um, my mom was a very beautiful, successful woman and I just remember when the recession hit, um, she lost her job. At the bank she was working at, and I think that was around the same time that the crack cocaine epidemic um, was mm. was going on, and she just um, she. She never recovered, and I saw that, and it hurt to see that my mom was hurting, and I just knew that I never wanted to follow in her footsteps. And my dad wasn't really around, so he wasn't someone that was in- instrumental in my life, so I really um, relied on TV and talking to my grandmother uh, a lot about different circumstances. Like you say, that a 7-year-old, um, you know, a 7-year-old, you wouldn't expect uh, to have that type of um I don't know, emotional intelligence. So I just remember I I used to watch a lot of TV, a lot of Army shows. I was into Notre Dame at the time as well. And I just remember, you know, the University of Notre Dame is going to be my ticket out of the inner city. And if I'm not able to um, go to the University of Notre Dame, I'll probably go to the military. And so that's how uh, my journey began.
3: Wow. That's something else but you just decided on uh, you d- you made that plan and you, and you stuck with it and uh I guess you were pretty good at basketball, too, weren't you?
6: I, I was. At round seven, I also discovered the game of basketball. I mean, I was in football at first, but obviously, you know, football <laughs> is for guys and boys. And so I said, well, let me pick up this ball and see, see what it's about. And at the same time, you know, I started to develop in my skills in basketball and growing a little bit more. And um, I always had a focus on academics as well. So academics and basketball went hand in hand. And I used to tell anybody that would listen to me that, hey, I'm going to go to the University of Notre Dame, and I'm going to earn a uh, basketball scholarship and play for the University of Notre Dame. And and I remember telling my mom, and and she was sincere. She said, you know, that's a lofty goal, but, you know, we're poor, and I'm never going to be able to send you there. And I said, that's okay, Mom, I'm going to earn a scholarship, and, and I'll show you. And I wasn't being mean or despiteful, but I just wanted to, to show her that, you know, I, I could do it. And over time, I, I grew a little bit. My skill set um, uh, grew a little, uh, you know, I, I became more skilled. And I started realizing, you know, this could be a possibility. I even remember writing an essay about it um, in the fifth grade that I was going to attend the <laughs> University of Notre Dame and I was going to drive a Trans Am because Trans Ams were big back in the 80s. So um, that was my goals back then. Um but, yeah, I started playing basketball, organized basketball in 6th grade, 7th grade, 8th grade, and I was left, left-handed, left so I felt like they kind of put me head and shoulders above everyone else being left-handed and just being a little different than everyone. So it, it started early on with, with developing my skills. And wow. your determination, clearly. Yes, ma'am. I had, you know, coming from the inner city, you, you, you have to have that little edge to you, that little spark, um, a little ego there to to get you out of those um those situations. So yes, definitely a lot of determination, a lot of perseverance because you you get tired. Sometimes you just get tired of of fighting so many different battles: the battles at home, the battles in the streets, the battles um, in the classroom. It's just it was just one situation after the other. But uh, I really have to say um, I just persevered through it all, and I had a pretty sound support system with my grandmother and my coaches and I had a couple of other good friends that kind of kept me focused.
4: Danielle, do you feel that your foundation, which was one of struggle, determination, persistence, etc., helped you once you were injured?
6: I I believe so. I I like to call it um, the resiliency factor. I think Mm -hmm. um, coming from where I come from, you, you have to be resilient. I think you know, I don't come from a military family, but I surely know um, what it's like to move from apartment to apartment being evicted, you know, mom can't pay the bills and stuff. So, I get that so early on you learn how to um persevere through adversity and you learn about the word on um, resiliency, the ability to bounce back. So, when in, in May May 25th, 2004, when I was hit by that rocket propelled grenade, I kind of just looked at it as a, another another challenge, uh, another uh, another obstacle um, that that I, I knew I had the ability uh, to possibly overcome. So I would say yes, that that early foundation um, definitely helped me overcome um, what I what I guess what I've been experiencing in the past ten years, and that's being a, a amputee and trying to figure it out in a two person a two person I'm sorry a, a two handed person world.
4: You know, you're very matter of fact about that RPG hitting you. Perhaps you'll share with our listeners what occurred when you were hit by the RPG.
6: Okay, well, May 25, 2004, that's when the attack occurred. I just remember it was extremely hot that day. I remember we, um, back at our barracks, we were training. It was riots training. I was a, a military police officer, and I remember doing probably an hour or two worth of riot training because we were preparing to go to Fallujah at the time. Uh, we completed that training, and I thought the day was over and I headed back to the barracks just just trying to relax. I wasn't feeling well that day. And then we received orders that we had to go to Baghdad to um, go to our, our normal location of training um, the Iraqi police officers. So we, we get our gear. I just remember just being in the worst of moods that day. But, of course, you you, you, you go. When they tell you to do something, you do it. You don't question it. So I remember on the way driving there, we got into an accident, and I was just thinking, gee, this is not going to be good. So we had the accident. We went to our normally scheduled place, um, a police station in the middle of Baghdad, and normally the community kids, um, the community would meet us, uh, kids, uh, moms, just the community would greet us, and we would greet them. But this particular day, there was no one there. It was just basically us. There was no police officers there either. There was just the detainees, and I thought, gee, this is awfully strange. Um, but my chain of command, they didn't say anything. You know, my platoon, or I'm sorry, my leader, they didn't say anything. And we were shorthanded that day, too, I remember. But normally we would um, go to the rooftop to um, pool pool security, and we would have kids up there with us. And it would be two or three of us, but since we were shorthanded and there, there were no kids, um, we just – we went up there one at a time, and I think I probably was the third or fourth person to go up there. And we probably worked in maybe 30-minute shifts because it was so hot. It was 115 degrees, and we would we would pull our shifts, and then we would go downstairs and get some AC, or we would pull security in our Humvees. So it was my turn to go up there. And it's a two-story uh, police station, and um, just the regular routine, just um, walking around the, the rooftop just to make sure everything is okay. So I finally situated myself in the front of the building, and I don't really know how much time elapsed, but I would say maybe 10 to 15 minutes. I was up there doing, doing what I was doing, and I just recall um, seeing the impact of two RPGs hit just, just meters away from a Humvee that was part two stories behind. And the gentleman, that, the soldier that was in the Humvee, he looked in shock. And so, like you're trained to do, you, you, you pick up your weapon, which my weapon of choice at the time was an M4 rifle, and I took cover. And as I was preparing to return fire, not really knowing where I was returning fire to, I remember looking down at the weapon and about to change it from, what, safety to fire, and something hit me. I mean, I know that it's an RPG now, but at the time it was just something hit me. And immediately I just, I, I, the first emotion I can remember is just being angry and then being in shock that, oh, my God, I'm about to die in Iraq in this hot sun with sand all over me. I just felt like it was it a nightmare, and I was the centerpiece of it. So I was just trying to just reason in my mind that this, this could not be happening. So I was just angry that I was going to die in Iraq at 27 years old, and I hadn't done what I wanted to do in life and I felt like there was so much more to do and, and this was it. And so as I lay there with fan and ringing in my ears and just laying there numb, I'm just waiting there, waiting to die, just waiting. And my body was in shock. So what that meant to me was that it was numb. I couldn't feel any pain at the time, but finally the shock that the, the, the impact of the RPG wore off, and the shock in my body wore off where I actually felt the pain, and I couldn't really tell what was going on. There were so many mixed messages. I felt pain in my upper arm, my humerus bone. I didn't know that my, my arm was missing at the time. Um, I, I could see that my left thigh was injured. I could see blood. Um, I had, oh, I was able to move my leg, which gave me hope that, gee, you might be able to get up and run. So I remember praying to God, saying, you know, whatever I did in this lifetime, I'm sorry, just give me the strength um, to live. And so at that point in time, I felt a surge of energy, and I tried to get up, but I couldn't get up. Um, I still didn't know. I tried to move my arm, but I still couldn't tell that my what was going on with my arm, but I could see my humor. The, the top part of my arm was um, extremely bloody. And so I just laid there for a little while, um, just lost in my thoughts, and then my sergeant, um, came up the stairs, and he said, Green, are you okay? He didn't see that I was injured, and he was about to go back down the stairs, and I said, Sergeant, hurt. And he ran over, and he went into shock, and I will never forget his bluish gray eyes, and I will never forget that look of just shock in his in his face, and I said, Sergeant, I need help. And so um, three soldiers, three more soldiers came up, one tied a tourniquet on me. They checked me out to make sure I was okay, and um, they carried me to safety.
3: Wow. No. Mm. We're going we're to jump into a quick break, and when we come back, we'll finish up here. Uh, I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda, Bill, Charles, and our guest, Danielle Green. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back.
0: Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at T R N.
7: Network.com and syndicated on iTunes. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support.
1: That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with our guest, Danielle Green.
5: And uh, Charles, you had uh, a question. Yeah, I just wanted to uh, just add my two cents worth as a Prep Heart recipient as well. And I've seen Danielle through a, a portion of her walk. And she's an elegant lady, believe it or not, in personality, looks, intelligence. And just to see her move about, when I first ran into Danielle, I didn't know she was amputee. We ran into each other at an event, and I was just thinking, hey, she's, you know, and it's, this is what they call cross-contamination of vision. You know, we're so used to seeing guys injured that I, I saw a gentleman her, and I was thinking, oh, he's the wounded warrior, and she's the, you know, support factor. And then when she reached really out to shake my hand, uh... I felt a prosthetic and I tried to play it off like, all right, cool. Uh, It it basically, she basically checked my balance in a sense, showing that the guys are not just the the persons who get injured in combat. And once I heard her, once I looked, looked her story up and heard her story, I was like, man, I was blown away because as a kid, my father always looked at Notre Dame football, which I hated because between <laughs> Notre Dame and Redskins, that's one of the we watched in Richmond for some reason <laughs> in the Atlanta break, you know. You know, she don't, she don't know, and there's very few folks that I have a high regard and respect for, such as Danielle, because of the walk she's been through and because of the perseverance she has to a portion, uh, you know, and I'll let Bill chime in in a second, but... She actually is an OIF veteran who's reaching back inside of the VA system, helping generations just like I do now in the system. She's servicing the Vietnam veterans, you know, and she's the the guidance for those guys to look forward to, you know. And I'm just so I'm just so you know glad to be a friend of hers. I'm so glad to know that individual. I'm so glad to have that. Insight from that individual that you know, out of all the wounded warrior factors and out of his life, certain folks touch you like an angel. She's one of those persons. Even though I know she's gonna get mad when her son grows up and plays basketball for Connecticut, which you know, you know, because she played ball for Notre Dame. You know, her son got to go somewhere like Connecticut or Tennessee or somewhere like that as a as a as a superstar. So I know, I know for a fact. Bill, you had a question that you wanted to, you
2: know, pose to Danielle. Well, 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 uh, uh it, it was more of an observation as I looked over, uh, Danielle's background and her bio. And, uh, we started off talking about, uh, uh, where her direction in her mind was going at the age of seven. And it was the, uh, the team concept basketball, the military, and, and Danielle, I, I can tell you, you made, Two wise choices with the teams, uh, with the, with, with with the military. You joined the army and you were a military police officer, both of which I, uh, had the experience there also. And that team concept has continued on right with what you're doing now with the vet centers, uh, uh, is that your feeling also that the the the, the teens concept has uh, been very much dominant and prominent in your success to this point in
6: your life I would say yes bill i think it's been very dominant in in my life i played sports all my life and and, and it's the coaches preached the team concept i would say from 12 to about 23, that was very instrumental um, in my life. I was I was even in ROTC, Junior Reserve um, Officer Training Corps, in, in high school, and I was a part of the team. I actually moved up to the ranks of Lieutenant Colonel, so it, it was definitely instrumental um, in my life. But I'm going to tell you something. Teamwork really came into play when I was injured. Um, by that RPG because everyone had a crucial or an essential role in getting me to safety and making sure that I, I did not bleed to death. Of course, you have the gentleman who discovered that I was injured. He had to call other soldiers um, to come help me. And One guy was a medic. He knew where to tie that tourniquet. Another soldier pulled, pulled security to make sure the enemy didn't engage further. Each of them grabbed a limb Instead of one person just picking me up, each of them said, "Let's let's grab a limb and carry her down." We they carry me down two flights of stairs. The driver is waiting there. They put me on the Humvee. You know, you have somebody that has to call in a medevac. Then the med- so the the team concept to me came full circle May twenty fifth, um, two thousand four, and all those years of playing and sports and athletics. I mean, it's pretty competitive. You're trying to get points and rebounds and assists. But the, the 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 true team play came in saving my life. So I will never forget that team and, and when I go talk to little kids I, I, I talk about it in, in in that respect. And as far as working at the vet center, it's about five of us here. I look at us as a team as well as I'm the point guard because I'm the team leader and I'm assigning each person a role. You know, you're the addiction counselor, you're the military sexual trauma counselor, you're the family and marriage therapist, you're the office manager. So I I still believe in that team concept and I probably will carry that on to the day I, I, I die, I think.
2: Well, that's that. That's great, you know, and I'm I, I'm happy to hear your account with that uh, and and where you are now with the vet center. Uh, I um, participate with our uh, vet center here locally where I live, and we've got an outstanding team leader uh, who works with Vietnam veterans, uh, and uh, it's 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 so important that the leader, as you said, at the point. You're distributing all of uh, it, well on on the court. This is just distributing the ball, mm-hmm. sort of. Uh, uh, you know, uh, being the, uh, uh, the 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 person that sets the, uh, the the whole situation as far as the 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 game is going, and Correct. that's so important and. Uh, And to have that, to to be able to come back is something that you've learned early on and to be so prominent today.
6: Yes, sir, I I would agree. And, of course, I get my directions from my manager in in St. Louis, and, of course, he gets his um, directives from Washington, D.C. And I think it's just something that's um, just embedded in me, and um, I'm very passionate about what I do. Um, Like I said, I think early on I knew that I was destined to work in a field where I was I was going to serve others, whether it was in the military, whether it was being a school counselor, because that was one of my goals when I got out of Walter Reed was to be a school counselor and work with um, students and to coach basketball and it just so happens that, you know, somebody said, Hey, have you thought about working for readjustment counseling services? I said, I never thought about that. I didn't even know what PTSD was at the time, but um, I wanted to welcome that challenge, and I look at working for the Department of Veterans Affairs Readjustment Counseling Services as an opportunity to continue my service to others since my military career was cut short.
2: Well, great, Daniel. I I would offer this uh, recommendation to you that when that son of yours uh, hits the earth, and that there's still some confusion about where he should attend school. Uh, consider my school, Morgan State University in Baltimore, Maryland. It has a great ROTC program. I'm a product of that program, and we have produced uh, 14 general officers, two of them who have been four stars.
6: You know, Bill. He's he's
2: he's going to make up his mind when he's three.
6: You know, <laughs> right. When his personality is fully developed, we'll we'll have that that conversation right um, right right now. I just want to make sure these last twelve weeks go as smoothly as possible, um, and I can finally. Um, I guess this is an accomplishment because that was one of the things. <laughs> Um, when I was 27 and then I was hurt on the rooftop, I thought, gee, I haven't even lived long enough to have a child. And so finally, 10 years later, I feel like the good man upstairs is uh, finally besting me with uh, offspring and, a, and another generation. So I will have that dialogue with him about um, Morgan State, Notre Dame, um, <laughs> Tennessee, and Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> and the good well, yeah, man, <laughs> <laughs> well, We're going to take
3: a short break. Hey, guys and ladies. Uh, the water launch distribution is going to be here very, very soon. American Heroes Water is the first of several commuter, uh, actually consumer products that will be sold nationally to benefit the Military Order of the Purple Heart Service Foundation. The American Heroes Network and the Military Order of the Purple Heart Service Foundation has entered into an exclusive product support agreement. We also look forward to becoming American Heroes Water and the American Heroes Network Cause Apparel. We're going to have Cause Apparel in East stores also, in the commissaries, veterans organizations, food service locations, as well as retail outlets throughout the U.S. Look for the American Heroes Water, powered by the American Heroes Network, at your local retailing shel- retailer shelves around July 4th, 2014. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda, Bill, Charles, and our guest Danielle. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back.
7: the American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today the silent heroes support team levels start as low as 26 dollars per year that's only 50 cents a week go right now to americanheroesnetwork.com and join today that's americanheroesnetwork.com thank you for your support
1: That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with Danielle,
3: Danielle Green. And uh, Bill, you had a question about um, support systems. You're also going to aim it back at Charles, weren't you?
2: Well, we, we got two pros here. You know, we, we can use uh, the, the best of their advice and recommendations. But, you know, this is interesting. Yesterday the President, uh, made it very clear again that the, at the end of this year, all of our men and women will be out of Afghanistan and be returning to home and community. And, uh, I just, uh, you know, think about when I returned from Vietnam, uh, coming back to home and community, uh, needing help and assistance. And where that help and assistance would uh, come about. And, uh, and I, Danielle, you and Charles both have had a challenging situation in your returning to home and community. So I'd just like, uh, either one or both of you to describe to those folks coming up back, uh, you know, to sort of navigate that route for them. To some degree as to help them uh a, a, as they return back to home and community and have the best that they can in their lives uh, uh when they return home
5: All uh, right. let me let me jump on that one then Bill, and then Danielle can come off of me uh since she I look at her as being a professional in the in the field because she does so much. All the veterans are being soft-bent, and uh, she comes from a, a great set out of Chicago. So, believe me, uh, she's always going to be professional. I guess I'm the big-time legislator. I oversee all this good stuff from ground zero over top of the VA and DOD. So, my perspective, just to give you clear, clear clarification on what you just stated, Bill, is uh, it'll be the end of op- combat operations, but it won't. Yeah, we have a couple more years that we've given, that we've agreed upon with Afghanistan standing in, 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 on ground. Basically what we're doing in Iraq right now. So we'll lose a total number of probably, uh, um, 30,000, 30, uh, warriors out of this, out of the fighting combat. And we'll go into what they call a supportive and, uh, train up the atmosphere. We could be 10 to 15,000. So we're not totally out of there for a couple more years. We're just entering the, the combat operations. To go further into that is what I, what I look at and what we're looking at now from the, the White House and VA DOD perspective is we're trying to reconnect operations such as, you know, underneath the First Lady Operation Joining Forces, which gives you a different blipness of different, from jobs to benefits to community. Rein, re-infractions, uh, events and programs that can reintegrate these, these warriors, whether you, or service members, whether you're in Navy, Air Force, Marine, whatever the case is, or even Army, into a community. So it's called a community-based adjustment program that's, that's been kicked off, but now it's about to go to the point it's going to be a full initiative program that's going to be backbone with the DOD and VA. So they get to share this purse of great, great, great funds. they readjust these new warriors. The same thing they should have done with Vietnam, and they they refused to do it at the time. I guess they wasn't as creative as we are now. Uh, such as programs that, that Danielle sit on top of South Bend, where she's basically talking to the, the the veteran community from the Vietnam era. Reconnecting them with the community. We're doing that with post 9/11 and pre 9/11 warriors now. Because, as they say, healing has no staple and no time period. You can heal from 50 years ago. I just healed an individual who got injured in Korean War, uh, Korea War, 62 years ago. So just imagine that. He's 80 some years old. He's just healing. I just pushed him through the process. He was a POW and a prom recipient and he had never been recognized. Now we finally get the recognition. So for great persons and great professionals such as Daniel Green, you know. I'll push this over to you as well with you doing out of your community and mm-hmm. you know we're we'll definitely assist you from Washington D C on that that push.
6: Okay. Thanks, Charles. Well, I, I've been a team leader here in, this, in South End Indiana for about uh, 17 months now, and I provide readjustment counseling services to combat zone veterans and their family members. Um, we also um, work with um, soldiers who are suffering from military sexual trauma, um, bereavement. We work with active duty soldiers now as well. Uh, we offer non-traditional hours, which means we work outside of that 8 to 430 frame. So I, I think readjustment counseling services, um, they're on to, to something that maybe the, the bigger system, the VA Medical Center, uh, needs to start looking at and, and opening up their services um, even further. I think back in 1979, I think that's when Readjustment Counseling Services was was established. So that's what I do in my, my local community. Um, I think for our soldiers that are... Um, you know, getting out the military now. I think there has to be some type of bridge between DOD and what the VA does, so these veterans aren't um, falling through the cracks. Now, as an amputee, I feel like that they, they get they they did a wonderful job with us amputees. I still people still call me ten years later to see how I'm doing, but you know, obviously my my scars are visible. What are we doing? Uh, for those scars that are invisible, such as the PTS, the depression, um, the TBI. And I feel like those are the individuals that are falling through the cracks, and those are the ones, the 22 suicides a day, because, you know, because you can't see their scars. Um, you, you, you miss them. They fall off the radar. So I think if our system um, could do a better job of just linking up the DOD and the VA system, and then providing some support systems for the family as well, and that's another area where the, the VA medical center, they don't provide family services, whereas um, vet centers, we do provide family services because there's a readjustment um, period there for the families as well. You know, the spouses or caring for the families and, and the children and, and going about their life, and now you have this combat veteran who's experienced whatever he's experienced, and now he's trying to um, readjust or acclimate back into the, the society, the civilian world, family life, and sometimes there's just this um, this disconnect. And so I, I think the families are very, very instrumental, and so the system has, has to figure out how do we get this family unit, and we try to, I don't want to use the word fix, but uh, maybe somebody can help me. It's not fixed, but somehow, you know, work on the entire family instead of just the, the, the soldier. So um, that's the work that I'll take that, that, that I do. Danielle.
4: You're mm-hmm. absolutely right because mm-hmm. the outcomes are more positive when the family is involved, when people understand what is PTS, how to live with those who have PTS or a TBI, um, as well as the more physical injuries that may ensue. Um, but you're absolutely right that. It's important to integrate back into the community, helping all of them. And actually, the vet centers are beginning to offer services to the families as well.
6: Right, well we're there. I think that, like I said, I think back in 1979, readjustment counseling services, they hit on something big and I think, I think the medical centers need, they need to start picking that, picking that up a little bit too. So we work, we work a lot with families and, and we provide some services for children as well because children, they may suffer from, um, behavioral and emotional issues. There's something that's called, um, secondary, vic by, by uh, is it called secondary traumatization? You know, you're traumatized just based based on what what the veteran is experiencing. So you have to look at the entire unit. And so I think um, as the VA moves forward, that's something they may want to look into revamping. How do we integrate the family into this process as well? And maybe there should be more, when people deploy, maybe there should be more resources for families um, while the veteran is away, this is what to expect. You know, this is PTSD. This is, uh, you know, just psychoeducational type of stuff. And I'm not sure if that's going on right now, but I think it's imperative as we move forward. I think then, it you know, is going on. Let me piggyback let me, let me, let me on that for a second, uh, Linda. Um, mm-hmm. That is going on, but mm-hmm. what the great
5: government of the United States does is it pass off the ticket to other organizations. Mm-hmm. What you're speaking of, speaking about is the the Family Support Military Family Initiative, which is mm-hmm. owned by all, you wouldn't expect this, by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. Oh, wow, okay. Why wouldn't that be owned by the VA system? But mm-hmm. HHS handles all that. And I, you know, for a normal situation, I would say that's great. But for military function, and it's a, it's a moot system because it, does, it treats you as you as a civilian never served. So I mm-hmm. think it's a, it was an improv system put in place at the wrong time, wrong concept, wrong meaning. Well, it had a great concept. It should have been integrated in the VA rather than health and human services. Correct. So that's just a ticker for you guys out there that look at. Maybe we can change that strategy.
4: Um, well, there's and- also a, a huge number of nonprofits that are stepping into the gap because the generational PTS that you mentioned, this is really a multi-generational issue when people Mm -hmm. come back and as they adjust, the adjustment changes. Also in terms of some of these invisible injuries, the symptoms and the behavioral changes may not occur for years. Mm -hmm. So as people heal at different rates, we also need to adjust our medical care to accept them at different times. And I think we're getting a little bit better at that, but as Charles said, it'd be nice if there was a more cohesive program uh, to do that. But they are taking steps to get there.
2: Correct. Well, uh, Danielle, I introduced the family uh, for a more basic and fundamental reason. uh, From what I see in my advocacy work that I do with veterans is that uh, uh, family members who are close to uh, a serving uh, person uh, actually take on some of those same kinds of uh, situations that the individual is experiencing, they they become a part of it, and especially if it's a close family member and they're living together, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the 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 lives are, are moving down the, the 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 same path, and I think that is very important. Many times, when the veteran won't talk about what his or her situation is all about, the family member is there to be able to speak up because they live with this on a day to day basis. And I, you know, I'm just thinking from the from the basic fundamental standpoint that the family has got to be included in that process as they move on through the next journey in their lives.
6: No, I agree, Bill. I agree wholeheartedly. But you know, how do you? It's like a puzzle. How do you put the puzzle of all the pieces together so so it makes sense and and. You make an excellent point. How do we do that?
2: <laughs> well, you know, you know, this whole deal, uh, Danielle, is about taking care of the veteran and their family. So, you know, no, no matter how you look at it, you can't split the hairs. It's going to be there and it's going to be a combination.
3: Mm -hmm. That's right. We're going to take a quick short break. I'd like to remind everyone that American Heroes Network is not just a radio program. In order for you to stay updated on what's going on within the network, on your phone, text the word HERO to 80464. That way you'll receive all the latest updates, including the water distribution. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda, Bill, Charles, and our guest, Danielle. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. (music)
7: The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement and most importantly hope to the grey reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today the silent heroes support team levels start as low as 26 dollars per year that's only 50 cents a week go right now to americanheroesnetwork.com and join today that's americanheroesnetwork.com thank you for your support Network.com and syndicated on iTunes.
1: Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time, the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned into to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with our guest,
3: Danielle Green. And uh, uh, Charles, you had a question.
5: Hey, Danielle. I just want to get your, your fill on this. Um, the, the women veterans community in the VA system, in DOD system as a whole, we're definitely on the VA system. Why do you think they so disenfranchised uh, in the vision or the view of the VA system down to the care all the ways? Because I noticed in the in the D.C. area, Washington, D.C. area, how rather than build a, a formable clinic for the females with GYNs that would be a normal case, they rather outsource that to other operations. It seemed like they're trying to hide the female veteran population. Uh, maybe you can simulate it on that one or just elaborate on it.
6: So I, I, I still to. feel like the VA, and this is my personal opinion, where, you know, being a part of the system for 10 years, I just feel like um, the system is just operating off of an old system. It's kind of like our educational system. Our educational system is still operating from, like, the 1950s and 40s, and I still just think there's this stigma that um, women w- women are not veterans, and, and oftentimes this is just my personal experience. Um, it's, it often seems that way when you, you go to the hospitals and you you don't have the specialty services that you need or that specialty, you know, clinician is... Is part time, so I just I just think it's it's the system, it's a systemic thing, and I I don't know how you go about changing that. Um, but we women first need to know that they are veterans, and I think the system um, needs to put something in place to make us feel like we're veterans and we can get the services that we need. and And we're out there on the front lines too, and there's not really a such thing as a front line anymore, but um, we're in combat too. And when I come in and I'm saying I'm experiencing intrusive thoughts and nightmares diagnose me with anxiety disorder, you know, maybe I have PTSD And so I think it's just the, the it's an the old school mentality um right. that needs to be changed and um that's, that's my personal opinion about the matter. Yeah, yeah. I
5: I agree and you are a true lioness because the lioness of this this era are the true females that served in combat and they're so wounded. They're even more wounded than the male recipients of combat. Mm-hmm. You know, and what our nation doesn't understand is they need to catch up and and not go back. Seem like we're regressing when it comes to the feed down populace in the veteran community.
6: I, I would agree with that and that just takes um, maybe, maybe stronger leadership, maybe the women we need to get together. We need a stronger, a stronger voice and, and so until somebody takes that lead, I think we'll, we'll fall uh, further and further back and, and, and uh, the system has to take into account that, you know, we come back from the combat zone and you know what? We go back into that mommy, daughter, sister role again. Whereas men, men, men have a little more autonomy than us and so I just think, <laughs> I just think there's a uh, fundamental um, disconnection, and um, we we need our leadership to step up for for our women.
4: You know, I, I think if anybody ever doubted that women were in combat, they now know from this story certainly, and several others that we've had on the radio program that you certainly are in combat. I, I wouldn't want to miss the show by not acknowledging your purple heart and Charles I know has pinned on Purple Hearts in stadiums and elsewhere as the commander in Maryland but please tell us where you received your Purple Heart and what it meant to you.
6: Well Linda, I received my Purple Heart um, May 25, 2004, probably several hours after um, I was hit by the RPG. My battalion commander actually pinned it on me while I was at the hospital and said I was his hero and at the time, I, I didn't really understand, um, the significance of it. But once I lost that medal, I kept telling people, hey, I, I need a Purple Heart medal. And next thing I know, people, people, I had like several Purple Hearts. And, and it, it, and Charles, you know, I've been talking to Charles over the years, and he's been educating me on the significance of it. Cause I'm not really into awards and everything. You know, I, I serve my country honorably. So, I mean, the Purple Heart is very significant. Um, to me, it just takes people like um, Charles to continue to educate me about it, continue to talk to other Purple Heart recipients and um, to, to ask on what it means to them. But it, to me, it means that, you know, I was, I was injured in a, a combat zone and, um, you know, I almost put my life, um, um, sacrificed my life for my, my country. And it, it, it means a, a lot, um, but it's just more education for me about it. I think it will mean more. Um, to me as i as i get a little bit older and then i can talk to my son about it as well
3: all right well we only have a couple minutes left and danielle wanna thank you for being on the show thank what you would you for like having to me. share well you're welcome and we would like to what would you like to share with our listeners in closing
6: well, I'd just like to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. This is what it was about 10 years ago. That's mm-hmm. that's the prayer that I, I said to, to the man upstairs, just give me the opportunity um, to live, to share my story, so maybe I can instill hope and determination and perseverance in, in someone else who, 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 who may be struggling right now. So I just want to say thank you. Um, I want to encourage people who are struggling with PTSD Um, to to contact your local vet center and see what services um, that they have to offer. Um, PTS does not mean that you're you're crazy. It just means that you're reacting. It's a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. So give the system a try and, um, you know, don't fall through the gaps. There is help out here, and if you don't come and get the help, then the services um, disappear, and we surely don't want that. So contact your local vet center or VA medical center for um, mental health services.
3: All right.
4: Thank you, Linda. Great to see you. I'm just honored that we had on such a stellar interview e today, and thank you for sharing your experience. It can't have been simple um, or easy, but the way you've gone through it is with huge grace and dignity and strength. So thank you for sharing your story today. Yes, You're welcome. Definitely.
2: Bill? Danielle, you are a fantastic person. Continue to do what you do in assisting our veterans and their families. And finally, uh, would you predict uh, that in the finals we're going to see uh, Miami and uh, San Antonio and that Miami will be the victor?
6: Uh, it's looking that way, but I'm going to keep my opinions to myself. <laughs> All right. Charles? Uh,
5: like I say, it's just, I'm just so honored to be on broad, online with the great individual, especially Danielle. I've, like I said, I had a chance to see a part of her walk. And she's an inspiration to me. And guys like myself. Even though she's a, she's a, a service woman. And we don't ever want to forget that. How to give a lady her due. But she's a true inspiration to me. As a, as a, up opposite wound of warrior sex person. So um, she's just the greatest to me. All right.
3: Thanks. All right. Danielle, just make sure that in three years you let us know where he decides to go to college.
4: Oh, my God. uh, (laughs) You guys, enough pressure on the college. He's six months (laughs) old.
2: Danielle set the
6: bar, so three is probably the new bar. That's right. Oh my, yeah. Gee, you hear that, Daniel? I'm calling him Daniel. So, gee, moving around now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Today's show
3: has been brought to you by First Class Merchant Services. If you missed any of our live shows, all our shows are archived on demand 24-7 on the AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. And remember, the American Heroes Network spotlights and promotes the very best available information of interest to America's veterans and their families anytime, anywhere, and on any device. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda, Bill, Charles, and our guest, Danielle. Uh, Thank you. We're signing off. You have a great day. Have a good week, and say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.
6: Have a great day.
1: Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and his co-host, Linda Crater, again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. We are America, and we truly do believe you're the backbone of our nation thanks to you, will